thing in our society, don't they? So if you were to say, are you enjoying yourself or are you happy, you're asking the same thing. But joy and happiness, as Chris talked about, they're so different, especially when we understand what the Bible means about joy. So you can have joy and not be happy. You can be happy and not have joy. Joy's permanent. Happiness isn't. Joy's deeper than happiness. Chris touched on it. Me and John have been talking about it all week. We think it's a silly song, but it's profound. I've got joy, and it's down in my heart. Where? Right, deep down in my heart. See, happiness is, is deeper than, joy's deeper than happiness. Happiness comes from the word that we get happen from, or haphazard. Happy, or hap, means chance, or luck, or fortune. So happiness is a great feeling. There's nothing wrong with being happy. If you did wake up happy this morning, if you're still happy, that's brilliant. But it's not all of us. Happiness is great, but happiness is fragile. Happiness depends on circumstances. Happiness depends on chance. But joy's deeper than happiness. Joy's this deep satisfaction, this deep contentment. It's an awareness that I'm secure it's contentment. Where, where happiness comes from the word for, for look or chance, joy comes from the word charis, which means grace. See, our, our, our joy isn't dependent on chance, it's dependent on grace. Joy is the, the satisfaction that comes from knowing God's grace. In fact, in the, in the language that, that Paul's writing in, there are three elements to the, to the word joy. Joy means cheerfulness, calm, delight, and an awareness of God's grace. This, this calm, awareness, and cheerfulness because of God's grace. So I want to dig it even a little bit deeper now and think what is joy? Because we've got to understand that the world we live in is deliberately set up to challenge joy. And that's not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. Our society, a capitalist society, works around challenging joy. Think about it for a minute. What, what is it that drives the economy? Well, don't be satisfied with that car, you need a better car. You, you need a bigger and better TV. You need more holidays. You, you need to go better places. You, you, you need to pay for this, so you need a better job. So you need to work longer hours or, or change careers or both of you need to, need to work. And, and society is set up now, isn't it, that, that actually it's very, very difficult if you both don't work. Well, you need the best furniture in your house. You need the latest phone. You need to be sexually active. You need a bigger, better house. That's, that's how advertising works, isn't it? That's how society works. That's why DFS have had a sale on since 1980. But you need to worry up because it ends tomorrow. See, our, our happiness, and society, the people in advertising know this, they're clever. Our, our happiness depends on whether we have things, especially compared to other people. How does our house, our job, our salary, our sex life, our career compare to the people I associate with? That's what drives society. It's deliberate. Society is set up to challenge joy. The economy is set up to challenge joy. Our economy would crash if people started saying, well, I'm happy with what I've got. I'm content with my house, content with my car, 
settee's comfy enough, I don't need a new one. Well, actually, this Nokia 3310 does everything I need it to do, and it's got snakes on it. Amazon had crash. if we were satisfied. The stock market had crash. Because happiness depends on everything working out well. Happiness depends on having more and more and getting and chance. And with happiness, there's always something else. So if I had a good night's sleep, I might wake up happy. If my team wins on a Saturday, I might be happy. If I've got enough money to go out for a curry on a Friday, I might be happy. If I'm fit and healthy, I might be happy. But then you don't sleep well. Your team loses. You lose your overtime. You start to struggle for money. Your health deteriorates. And your happiness has gone because happiness is fragile. People end marriages, don't they? I'm not happy. I haven't been happy for months. Doesn't matter about the impact on the kids or the partner because happiness is the holy grail. I must be happy. And if you're not happy, something needs to change. And when the things that give you happiness become ultimate things, you can't be happy without them. And that's when you're in trouble. Billions of people are in that boat, aren't they? They can't be happy unless they've got certain things. So much unhappiness, so much plenty around. We've never been as wealthy and as well off as a society. We've probably never been as unhappy. Because people base their happiness on, on being in the moment. And life's not like that. Life's generally not happy in lots of ways. And it creeps into Christianity. We, we want, we want to, the feeling of happiness rather than the comfort of joy. So where does joy differ from happiness? Joy is that we've got a, a satisfaction. We've got a comfort that, that rules in our hearts. And so we can enjoy happiness... But we don't rely on being happy. If, if, if marriage is great, great. But I'm not reliant on that. If my job's good, that's great. I'm not reliant on that. Joy's not always ecstatic, but it can be. You, you can experience pain and experience loss and still have joy. You, you can lose things that make you happy, but still have joy. Because the source of your joy can't be taken away. That's the big thing, that, that joy, difference between joy and happiness, the, the source of your joy can't be taken away. The source of your happiness can. Joy that none can destroy. Jesus was the perfect man, wasn't he? If Jesus is the perfect man, I think it's fair to say there would have never, ever been a time in Jesus' life when he didn't have joy. Was it fair to say? There would have never, ever been a time in Jesus' life when he didn't have joy. But he cried at Lazarus' funeral. He cried out in agony on the cross. He, he, he wept in Gethsemane. He was distressed. Was he happy in Gethsemane? No, he was distressed. But he had joy. Jesus was, was so joyful that he went to the cross in agony, but joyfully. For the joy that was set before him. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the experience of joy in affliction and in poverty. There's Christians in Afghanistan today who've got more joy than some of us. But they're not as happy as us. So what is joy? If happiness is based on chance, if happiness is this elusive thing, well, joy is this. Joy is a spirit-fueled, deep satisfaction. 
It's contentment. It's calm cheerfulness in God's grace. Spirit-fueled, because we can't get it on our own. It's a deep, deep level satisfaction and a contentment and a calm cheerfulness that can't be taken away because it's based on God's grace. Joy can be felt and it can be expressed more and less. We can feel like we've got more joy or less joy, but it can't be lost, it can't be taken away, and that's why we have joy. We can be happy and joyful, we can be sad and joyful, because God's grace can never, ever be taken away from us. And because his grace can never be taken away from us, we can always have this joy, this contentment. So if that's what joy is, then how do we get it? How do I get joy rather than happiness? We get joy from being joined to Jesus. It's as simple as that. I'd say it's no more profound than we get joy from being joined to Jesus. But I think that is profound. We get joy when we're joined to Jesus. The passage that we we read earlier, we're not looking at the whole of that passage, but it makes it clear, doesn't it? It's, It's ever such a clear picture. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. For a branch to be fruitful, it needs to be joined to the vine. If you cut a branch off the vine, it's not going to bear fruit. You and me can only bear the fruit of joy when we're joined to the source of joy, Jesus. You can have the stick-on fruit of happiness, but if we want lasting joy, we've got to be joined to the source of joy, Jesus. Joy is only as secure as the thing you've got joy in. That sounds obvious, doesn't it? But... We've got to get it in our heads. Joy's only as secure as the thing that we've got our joy in. So if your joy's in your marriage, your joy's only as secure as your marriage. If your joy's in your job, it's only as secure as your job. What's more secure than the grace that we know in Jesus? That he never changes. And so in fact, we would say is once you're joined to Jesus, we, we can never be separated from him. Once we're joined to Jesus, the the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and me. And Jesus becomes our source of joy. But it's not just that joy is possible. It's not just that joy is commanded. If you're a Christian, joy is inevitable. Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in you. And so by hook or by crook, by feeding us or by pruning us, we will know joy. We don't find it in circumstance. We don't find it in chance. We find joy in Jesus. Jesus will satisfy us if we let him. This world can offer fantastic experiences, can't it? This world can offer happiness, happiness that's not wrong, happiness that's not sinful. I get tremendous pleasure. I get happiness when I go on holiday and I eat good food. I get happiness from running Caleb's football team. We played yesterday. We played against Sky Blues in the community. Like the next one's down from Covers Academy. And we're 3-0 down with eight minutes left. And I, kept, I said, keep going, keep going. We won 4-3. We were ecstatic. Might lose next week, but we were happy yesterday. I get real happiness from it. We went for a curry on Friday night with Liz and all the kids, apart from Caleb. It was a really happy time. But we'll only find joy and satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. We'll find happiness in other things, but we'll only find joy in Jesus. When we come to him and we ask him to forgive our sin and we ask him to be our saviour, because then what he gives us can never be taken away. If we want solid joy that we can't lose, then we need the source of that joy to be something that can't be taken away. 
Jesus doesn't change. Jesus has promised never to forsake us. Jesus has promised to lose none of us. Those that the Father has given me, I will lose none. You can never lose Jesus. Jesus will never lose you. But we can lose our sense of joy. We can lose our level of joy. Maybe you sometimes feel like that. I, I often feel like that. We believe, we love Jesus. We're not looking for ecstasy, but, but we, we, we lose that feeling of joy. We lose that feeling of contentment. It happens. So the third thing is this. How do we maintain and grow in joy? How do we maintain? If joy is um, this deep sense of satisfaction and contentment, if we get it by being joined to Jesus, how do we maintain joy and how do we grow in joy? Well, look at the main verses that Jason read to us in, in verse 9 to 12. John 15, 9 to 12. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. And again, we're not saying this is easy, but it's so simple. For us to experience and produce and grow in joy, we have to abide in Christ. What's the purpose of Jesus' words in John 15? The purpose of John, these things I have spoken, that your joy may be full. Jesus has spoken these things so that we might be joyful. Jesus wants us to be joyful. How do we get that joy? He says, you've got to press in. You've got to abide. It's not just becoming a Christian and then stepping back. We have to stay. We have to look to him and not to ourselves. We have to put him first and we have to honor him. We have to, specifically, two things are mentioned. If we want to have joy, Jesus says, I say these things so that you will have joy. What do we need to have joy, Jesus? Obey God and love other people. Obey God and love, love others. And you'll have joy, he says. Put him first. Which people have the best marriages? The people who put themselves first or the people who put the husband and wife first? See, putting our own desires first gives us a temporary happiness, but it, but it won't bring lasting joy. I listened to a lecture by R.C. Sproul in the week. He gave a really helpful way of understanding how to grow in joy and how to decrease in joy. It's corny, but you will remember it. What does joy stand for? How can we increase in joy? How do you spell joy? It's not a trick question. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. If you want to have joy, Jesus first, others second, you third. How do we decrease and lose that sense of joy? Well, this is how we spell joy, yodge. You, others, Jesus. If we want to have joy, it's Jesus, others, you. But we live, you, others, Jesus. We can't expect to live in a, in a materialistic and a troubled world, can we? And be content and be settled in a world that's always challenging our happiness. How can we be settled if we're not regularly in God's word? Being reminded of what's really important. 
How can we be settled in this kind of world if we're, if we're not regularly praying with honesty and repenting and, uh, and, and, and that? How can we be content in a world that's battering us to be discontented if we're not regularly meeting with other Christians? How can we be content if we're not prepared to put ourselves out and serve other people? Well, if we don't do those things, we won't be content. We won't have joy. But if, we, if it's Jesus, others, you, we will. Our joy will increase as we put Jesus first. Our joy will increase as we put others before us. There's an old story, it's probably after, I don't know. But a minister goes around to see a member of the church. The member of the church isn't coming regularly. They've stopped being involved in most of the church's life. And as he's talking, he gets the tongs and he takes a piece of coal off the fire and puts it on the hearth. And at the end of the conversation, they spoke for an hour or so, he picks up the piece of coal in his hand. And he says, when I came here, that coal would have burned me. But when I've taken it from the other coals, it loses all its heat. And the, the bloke got the message. The coal was still coal, but it had lost all its heat. If we don't press in, if we don't abide with God, if we don't press into God's people, if God won't allow it forever, but we'll go cool. Still be Christians, but we'll lose our joy. And when we lose our joy in Jesus, we start looking for it in other things. So those two specific commands Jesus gives in John 15. And if we keep those commandments genuinely, he promises that your joy will be full and it will remain. And we'll be content. Keep my commandments. Love one another like I've loved you. How can I have joy? I obey the God who loves me and I love people. I give myself in agape love, in sacrificial love to other people. And as I do that, I might not always be happy, but I will have joy. And it's joy, not happiness, that helps us to stay the course. Now that's supernatural, isn't it? Because it's only through the Holy Spirit I can love God. It's only through the Holy Spirit I can obey God. It's only through the Holy Spirit I can love you sacrificially and you can love me sacrificially. This is not natural it's supernatural. Happiness is looking for it in natural things. But we've said from the beginning, haven't we, the fruit of the Spirit isn't just a, a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing. And also, the fruit of the Spirit isn't primarily Godward. When we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we're not primarily talking what the Spirit produced in you is a real love for God. That happens. What the Spirit produces you is a real joy in God. That happens. But that's not primarily what the fruit of the Spirit is about. The fruit of the Spirit is if we look in the context of Galatians 5, it's all about with each other. This, this joy, it's no good me saying, well, I've got real joy in you, Jesus, but I'm miserable with every, everyone else. That's not joy. So how do we go from joy in Jesus to having joy in other people? Because that's what we're called to do. We're, the, the, the real challenge of this passage isn't have joy in Jesus. The, the real challenge of this passage is have joy in each other. That's harder. Jesus never changes, but we do. Jesus never disappoints, but we do. So how can we have joy in each other? So what does joy look like as a fruit of the Spirit? If we've looked at what joy is and how we get it, what does joy look like in our lives? If we've got the fruit of the Spirit of joy in our life, what will it look like in this church? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You are our glory and our joy. Sounds almost heretical, doesn't it, when you think about it? 
Paul's talking to people, not to God. You think, well, Paul would say, God, you're my glory. Paul says to the people, you're my glory and my joy. What, what does Paul mean? We know that Paul loved Jesus. We know that Paul had great joy in Jesus. But what does Paul's joy in Jesus look like? He says, it's, it's joy in you. And Paul asks the question, what is my joy, my crown of rejoicing? What do I get joy from? And his answer is, you lot. Can we say that? What do I get joy from? You lot. Paul says, you're my glory, you're my joy. What does Paul mean? Well, Paul's doing this. He's thinking about the Christians that he's serving. And this is the key for us. We think about the Christians that we're serving. And Paul thinks about it. He doesn't just think about them. He doesn't just think about them as they are. He thinks about these Christians in the presence of Jesus when he returns. Paul's poured his heart into serving these people. And the thing that brings people, Paul joy is that I'm, I'm, I'm picturing you standing before Jesus. And it brings me joy. And that joy fuels him to serve. What does John say? 3 John 1, 4. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What makes John content? What gives John joy? The people that he loved, he sees them serving Jesus. That's supernatural, isn't it? Where do we invest our joy? Where are we, myself included, where, where have we invested our joy this morning? Have we done it in things, in experience, in jobs, in houses, in relationships? All good things, but not ultimate things. All good things, but not eternal things. Or do we get our joy from loving and serving and obeying Jesus and, and ex expressing that by investing in his people? Because as we love other people, we'll have joy in other people. When it comes to having joy in people, it's hard, isn't it? Because we're sinful and, well, because they're sinful and because we are. That's why it's supernatural, that's why we have to abide in Christ. Because the power to serve one another comes from the Holy Spirit, not from us. What does it look like for other Christians to be our joy and our crown? What does it look like for, for us in the church to say, well, they're my joy and my crown? Well, there's two people in the church and they're both nominated to be deacons. And they both really want to be deacons and one's elected and the other one isn't. What does joy look like? Glad submission and support and a smile and not talking about them behind the back and saying, oh, they're not doing this very well. All these babies we've had born in the church last year, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? But imagine a young couple in the church who can't have children. What does joy look like for them? How do they show joy? Well, they support, they smile, they're kind, they help. Your kids grow up and your kids aren't saved, but other people's kids in the church are saved. And it really breaks your heart. And you might even think that person hasn't been as good a parent as me. What does joy look like? We support, we smile, we care, we don't gossip, we serve. Someone gets on in ministry and displays gifts that we wish we could display. And we wish we had a platform to display. And we wish we had those gifts. And joy is that we're not jealous, we smile, we support, we praise them. Because... We're content with our lot in life. Yeah, it'd be lovely to be a deacon. Yeah, it'd be lovely to have kids. Yeah, yeah it's painful to have kids that aren't saved. Yeah, I'd love to have this gift or that gift and that so-and-so has. But I've got Jesus. And I belong to Jesus. And I've got the promise that he'll never leave me or forsake me. And I've got the promise that his grace is sufficient for me. <coughs> Paul said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. He had to learn it. It didn't come naturally. 
And so we have to fight to grow in joy, don't we? And we do that by obeying God. When we come to his word and we see things, we think, I'm going to do that. And we do it by loving others without complaining and serving. When I see Caleb score a free kick on Saturday, I don't envy him. I don't begrudge him and say it should have been me out there. I don't say I could have done better. Sometimes I say I could have done better. But I get joy from seeing him play because I love him without an agenda. I want the best for him. That's natural. But it's supernatural for it to be towards others. It's supernatural to want better for others than for you. And that's why we need the Spirit's help and that's why we need to pray. We've got to understand that this, this joy isn't just joy in Jesus, it's joy in others. And, and finally, the last thing I want to say, I want us to understand something. And actually this, I think, motivates us more than anything else. We bring Jesus joy. We're not the source of his joy, but we bring Jesus joy. We think, well, what do you mean? I, I think I must frustrate Jesus. I, I understand that Jesus tolerates me. But the Bible doesn't say he tolerates me. It says, I bring him joy. Ben Holmes brings Jesus Christ joy. Ben Holmes of today, not the Ben Holmes in heaven. Ben Holmes of today brings Jesus joy. It says, the mighty one will save and he will rejoice over you with gladness. The Lord will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3, it tells us the God of heaven sings about us. He rejoices about you and me. We bring joy to Jesus. Luke 15 verse 10 says, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That means this, heaven rejoices when someone becomes a Christian. Hebrews 12 verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the agony of the cross? It was presenting me and you before the Father. The thing that helped Jesus, the thing that gave Jesus joy even on the cross, was knowing that one day, when Jesus returns, he'd say to his father, here they are, the people at Holbrooks, they're yours. Do you see how Jesus' love for the father helped him in the power of the spirit to lay down his life for others with joy? And that's the pattern for us. Our love for the father enables us in the power of the spirit to lay down our lives for others, and that brings us joy. We're joined to the Father by Jesus. The Spirit enables us to, to do this. It's, it's supernatural. But it is possible. It is commanded. It is something we can grow in and decrease in. But imagine this. Imagine the joy in heaven. Steve served in Sunday school for years and years and years. And he sees Millie in heaven. And he sees Elijah in heaven. And he sees um, Sophie in heaven. And he says, oh, you are my joy and crown. It's worth it. You know, the prayer meeting, Katie prays for te with tears for Jack for years and years and years. And she sees him in heaven. And says, oh, my joy and my crown. 
It's not that they're putting them before Jesus. It's just, what a joy. Imagine the joy in heaven. You've persevered and you've served. And there's been someone in the church who's generally miserable and difficult and ungrateful. But then you see him in heaven. You say, oh, joy and crown. Worth it. Paul says to the people that he served, you are my joy and crown. The thought of seeing you in heaven, that's my joy and crown. We're Jesus' joy and crown. Jesus endured joyfully because he saw the fruit that had come in us. So what about us? Will we, will we pray? I think this is all we can do for a start, that we pray for the grace and strength and we, we say, I, I will commit. I will commit to loving these people in here. I will commit to looking at the people in this room and saying, you are my joy and crown. And that's supernatural. But it's possible and it's commanded. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. We thank you that whilst we're not the source of your joy, we are, we do give you joy. You do take joy in us. Lord, help us to find joy in you and not in other things. Help us, Lord, even more difficult to, to find joy in each other and serving each other. Lord, we recognize this is supernatural. It's a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of our hard work. And so create it in as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a, a hymn now that talks about how we've looked for joy and happiness in lots of different things, but we only find it in Jesus. Let's stand with the music and sing.
Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.